Oh my god, I'm hardly sorry, for I have offended the productions. In association with MediaGauntlet.com presents Views from the Long Box for September 19th, 2007. Episode 12, the special Death of Superman edition, complete with polybag, trading card, and commemorative armband. This is no fantasy. No careless product of wild imagination. No, my good friends. These indictments that I have brought you today, specific charges listed herein against the individuals, their acts of treason, their ultimate aim of sedition, Say what you will about Superman Returns, and it did have its problems. John Ottman's score was, as is the norm for a John Ottman score, one of the highlights of the film. Yeah, he could have used more of the, you know, full Superman theme. You know, this one. Instead, he kind of opted to use a whole lot of what I call the build-up music. The shirt-rip music, if you will. But in the end, the mix of his own music with the John Williams stuff worked out nicely. Especially the Kryptonian piece at the beginning, which I just played. God, that has such a great choral effect to it. Oh, man, uh, really good stuff there. Anyway, enough about that. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Views from the Long Box. I am your host, Michael Bailey, here to eat up about 30 megs on your hard drive or iPod or Zune and about 30, or in this case, probably closer to 40 minutes of your time to talk about something involving the world of comic books. As the musical opening may suggest, I'm in a Superman state of mind this week. Actually, that's not true. I'm pretty much in a Superman state of mind 24-7. As I have alluded to many times ad nauseum in past episodes, Superman is and probably always will be my favorite comic book character of all time. I have been reading the Superman titles for over 20 years straight now, which is not as long as some, but a heck of a lot longer than others, man. I've collected a lot of comic books over the years, but the ones I never even thought about getting rid of were the Superman titles, and outside of the Johnny DC animated tie-in books, I not only get every book Superman regularly appears in, but the extended Superman family 
so to speak, books as well, which at present consists of Supergirl, which is getting better, Supergirl and the Legion of Superheroes, which has been good and shows no real signs of stopping that, and Infinity Incorporated, since I am all about some steel and Natasha. It is because I am such a fan of Superman that I really haven't done an episode dedicated exclusively to him. For good or ill, I can talk about Superman for days, months, years, decades, millennia. I mean, it could go on. To, to put it in academic terms, I have graduated with a bachelor's in comic book history and minutia, and I'm working on my master's in DC and Superman. That's the best way I think I can describe it, really, and because I find it so easy to talk about Superman, I have avoided doing an episode on him up until now to fight the temptation of doing, just you know, not just one episode, but, like, a hundred. <laughs> and since this isn't a Superman podcast, maybe I should get around to doing one of those. Anyways, since this isn't a Superman podcast, I thought it would be good to kind of mix things up a bit. The other reason I haven't done any Superman-centric shows these past three months is that next year is Superman's 70th birthday, or anniversary, or whatever you want to call the marking of the publication of Action Comics number one. I mean, the guy doesn't exist, so the term birthday doesn't seem all that appropriate. Though, surprisingly, I have no problem with the saying, Superman's turning 70, which I'm sure we'll hear hundreds of times next year. That doesn't bother me, but that's neither here nor there. So I'm sure next year we'll see scads of Superman-related episodes, especially around February, but for right now, uh, I was going to save it for something special. Which brings us to the question, why are you doing a Superman episode this week, Mike? Well, apparently it's been 15 years since the whole Death of Superman event went down. Actually, it hasn't. It won't be 15 years until November 18th of this year, because it was on November 18th of 1992 that Superman number 75 hit the stands. And for whatever reason that I'm sure has to do with marketing and meetings with a bunch of guys in suits all desperate to justify their exorbitant wages, DC, along with their parent company, Warner Brothers, has deemed September as the month to mark the Death of Man of Steel, complete with animated direct-to-DVD movie tie-in, which I just bought today, big honking omnibus edition of the Death and Return comics, an action figure line, and a bunch of other bits of business guaranteed to get everybody back in the mood for the death of Superman. Now, I could just say, to hell with it, and just wait until November and to do the episode, but when I was discussing this with some fellow Superman fans and informed them of my intentions to do so, one of them gave me this really weird look, and he kind of just shuffled quickly out of the room. You know, I didn't think much of it at the time, until the next day, a letter came in the mail from Warner Brothers, informing me that any attempt to stray from what they have established as the 15th anniversary would not be in my best interest. So I crumpled up the letter, again, not thinking much of it, and tossed it right into the trash can, and right after it hit the bottom, there was a knock at my door. And when I opened it, this man who was luggage-carrying big and wore an intimidating black suit and sunglasses, politely but firmly told me that crumbling up official correspondence from Warner Brothers was, again, not in my best interest. 
And I was struck by the way he casually slammed his fist into his other fans as he said the words, Best Interest. So not wanting a beating at the hands of the minions of Warner Brothers, I decided to do the episode this week. And by decided, I mean I was scared for my life and thought it would be wise to cave into the silent intimidation. Oh, well, they had me legally anyway. Uh, At about 16, I signed a contract that every Superman fan who wants to take it to the next level has to sign. It has all kinds of weird clauses, such as buying variant covers and watching a certain percentage of any and all television series or movies that are produced about the Man of Steel, no matter how silly or bad Smallville and Lois and Clark could and did get. Looking through it the other day, I noticed the June 1938 clause, which states that no matter what the actual release date of a particular Superman comic is, if the general consensus becomes that it was released on the actual cover or some other date that DC and or Warner Brothers uh, chooses, that this shall become the accepted anniversary date and all action should be taken to commemorate said date. God, I really have to get a lawyer to look at that for me. I I think I could argue it in court. I I really do. I mean, I was 16 at the time that I signed that contract, and thus not a legal adult. Huh. Maybe I can get out of it. I mean, you do have to be 18 to sign a contract in the United States. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to... Wait a second. What's this? Huh. Uh, this, this is rather strange. A letter has seemed to appear out of nowhere on my desk, and it has the Warner Brothers logo on it. Huh. Let's see what we got here. Rather difficult to get through, isn't it? Uh, oh, here we go. Oh, yep, there we go. DC Comics letterhead. Let's see. Uh, Dear Mr. Bailey, it has come to our cl- uh, attention that you are making an attempt to not celebrate. Blah, blah, blah. This isn't in your best interest. Yada, yada, yada. Oh, well. It seems that Warner Brothers has not only been monitoring my recordings of this podcast, but has somehow uh, developed a teleportation device to send me a letter that doesn't so much threaten me with legal action, but tell me how many lawyers they have, and includes, of all things, a copy of my most recent financial statement and a copy of their most recent earnings. It also told me to look out the window. So if you could just uh, give me a sec. I'm looking out the front yard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Two large muscular men in suits. One appears to be cracking the, uh, his knuckles. The other is slapping a lead pipe into his palm. Yeah. Well... All I have to say to that is, welcome to the special 15th anniversary Death of Superman episode here at Views from the Long Box. 
in all seriousness, I'm rather surprised that both DC and Warner Brothers have rolled out as much stuff as they have to commemorate the 15th anniversary. Then again, I really shouldn't be surprised at all, since DC in particular has done so much to merchandise the event over the past decade and a half. There was the very awesome t-shirt that had the bleeding S on it. Wore that thing out until it was just gone when I was about 17. Uh, the BBC audio dramatization. Two, that that's right, two novelizations. One for the adults written by Roger Stern and one for the kiddies written by Louise Simonson with an early Superman piece as the cover by Alex Ross, actually. There was the sculpted bookends with Superman and Doomsday fighting that came out in 96 and that really, really badass action figure set from a few years back that my wife managed to cobble together at Dragon Con for me a couple years ago, in addition to the action figure set coming out to tie into the two-day-released Superman Doomsday DVD. DC also released one of their omnibus editions titled The Death and Life of Superman that set me back about 65, 67 and a half bones after my discount. This thing is freaking massive. I am shocked that they were able to cram all that gram, frankly. I was able to use it for self-defense, actually, when the zombie infestation broke out in College Park while I was buying my comics. I was able to just hit the zombies, bonk, on the head, with the omnibus, and shazam! I was able to get to my car in peace. Damn zombies. Always showing up when I'm buying comics. Easy to kill, mind you, but still kind of annoying. The omnibus is stunning. The two previous Superman-related omnibuses, the Superman Doomsday Collection and the complete Our Worlds at War, were both softcover. The Death and Return of Superman is hardcover, and frankly, I'm, I'm a bit nervous about reading it, because it is so large, and despite its wonderful zombie-killing capabilities, it's not as sturdy as I might want something that I'm going to sit there and read to be. I mean, I look at this book and think, man, I'm going to get halfway through this thing and the spine is just going to completely crumble to dust in my hands. But the entire saga, barring two issues of Action Comics apparently, is there, complete with the Justice League America issue that crossed over into the Death Story and the revelant portions of the Green Lantern issue that tied into Reign of the Superman. It's a beautiful package, really, and I only have one small, minor, tiny quibble. On the dust jacket, which features a nice piece of Dan Jurgens and Jerry Ordway art on it, there is a red splash in the upper left-hand corner advertising the Superman Doomsday DVD. Now, if they would have put this on the plastic as kind of like a sticker, I would have been fine. I understand marketing. But they put it on the dust jacket itself, which is just freaking annoying. I mean, they went to all the trouble to put a replica of the armband that came with Superman number 75, uh, wrapping around the jacket to serve as kind of the vessel that contained the title of the book and all the pricing and barcode information. And then they put this truly bit of crass advertising right there on the jacket with it. I'm sure future printings, if they're are any, we'll have the little red splash removed, but I'm not about to drop another $67 or so to get a new dust jacket. <sighs> 
All of this, though, takes me back to when Superman 75 came out. I was 16 years old in the fall of 1992. By that point, I had been a regular reader of the Superman books for roughly five years or so. I started during the Byrne-Wolfman administration and just stuck around. I was always a fan of the Christopher Reeve films, but was, until 1987, always more of a Batman fan when it came to comic books for some reason. Something about the Byrne Superman struck a chord with me, though, and I was just hooked. It really got bad in the fall of 88 when all the lead-up to the story arc Exile began. Suddenly, I was to the point where it seemed like forever between issues. And at the time, it was, since Action Comics had gone weekly, leaving only Superman and Adventures of Superman to kind of fill my desire for Superman comics. A month to a teenager is something akin to four score and seven years ago, so with only two Superman books coming out, it was nigh unbearable. Exile, uh, the story arc, was my first taste of the extended epic, and as ashamed as I am to admit this, I was totally sucked into this story and wondered if, wondered if Superman was ever going to come back to Earth. Hey, I, w I, was, I was like 12 going on 13. Cut me some slack. The thing is, as much as I liked the Superman books, and as much as I was taken in not just by Superman, but his supporting cast as well, I only really read the Superman books, and I caught endless crap from the other kids I knew who collected because of this. 1987 to 1992 was not a real popular time to collect the Man of Steel's adventures in my neck of the woods, and it's, it was almost like if you didn't read X-Men or Amazing Spider-Man, you might as well have been wearing a dress. Superman was not considered cool, and no matter how hard I would try and to explain why I liked the character, nothing was good enough for these people. Wolverine and Archangel and Todd McFarlane were always the cooler thing to be into. Then came 1992. 1992 was one of those years in comic book publishing history where everything seemed to click. The stars aligned, or the comic gods looked favorably upon us, or however you want to describe it. It was, it was just a really good year. It was kind of like 1986, really, when everything that came out seemed to catch on in popularity. Admittedly, the quality of the books in 92 were significantly less so than the year that gave us Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen, Man of Steel, and Batman Year One. Despite this, at the beginning of 1992, the X-Men and Spider-Man books were still riding high, even after Todd McFarlane had left the latter. Then came the announcement that McFarlane and Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld and Eric Larson and several other of Marvel's more popular artists were going to form their own company called Image. Simultaneously, a little company that Jim Shooter had kick-started the previous year had grown in popularity, and suddenly Valiant Comics were making some headway. By summertime, Youngblood and Spawn from Image were bestsellers, Valiant and Image were duking it out to see who would be the better company, 
a little magazine called Wizards uh, started becoming the magazine to read for the news on the hottest books, as well as overly inflating the value of the comics put out by Image and Valiant. Batman got a fourth title in Batman Shadow of the Bat, just in time to coincide with Batman Returns, and the X-Books were still on the poll list of the majority of the comic reading audience, despite Jim Lee's absence. It was a nearly magical time, where printing comics was literally like printing money. At the same time, 1992 wasn't the greatest year for Superman. Sure, things started off solidly enough with Panic in the Sky, a story arc that saw Superman teaming up with most of the heroes of the DCU to fight off an alien invasion headed by Brainiac. Afterwards, though, the books seemed to drift. They weren't bad. Not at all. They just weren't as good as they had been. There was a whole subplot involving the aliens that left behi- that were left behind from the invasion. There was this team-up between Robin and Jimmy Olsen as they fought a Nosferatu-esque vampire. There was the political rise and fall of Pete Ross years before he would be, be- uh, vice president and then president, which brought Agent Liberty back in the books from the previous year. The highlight of 1992 really for me was the revelation that the son of Lex Luthor who had recently taken over the reins of LexCorp after his father's death was in reality an engineered clone of Lex Luthor with the original Lex's brain inside. God, you know, there's just nothing bad about that concept, I'm sorry. Again, it, it wasn't terrible, it just seemed like a bit of a letdown after 1991 when all of the books really began to click. I mean, you had Dan Jurgens, Jerry Ordway, Louise Simonson, and Roger Stern, along with John Bogdanov and Tom Grummet and Brett Breeding, all coming together under editor Mike Carlin to deliver what would become known as the never-ending battle of storytelling, where all four books told one continuing story, basically, on a near-weekly basis. And it was awesome. I mean, in all honesty, this was my team of Superman creators. You know, a lot of people look back, uh, who are older than me, at Marty Pasco and Carrie Bates and Elliot S. Megan along with Kurt Swan as being the ones who defined Superman for them. For me, it was that team. And it was kind of brought home to me just tonight when I was watching the little featurette on the Superman Doomsday DVD where they were interviewing all these people uh, on their memories of the, the death and return of Superman. I mean, this was my crew. So... I had the first experience that summer of not being totally enthralled with the Superman books. What I didn't know at the time was that Carlin and Jurgens and the others were planning a story that would become a media sensation. They had wanted to do the wedding of Lois and Clark, but they couldn't because Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, was in development at the time at ABC. So they had to scrap an entire year's worth of storylines. And Jerry Ordway, apparently, who did this every year at their Super Summits where all of the creators would meet to plot out the next year of Superman stories, threw out, well, let's just kill him. And they did. 
But unlike the previous meetings where he had done this, they decided, okay, yeah, let's kill him. The first inkling that this was going on came in around August or September. Probably thinking it was closer to August. I remember it was uh, the weekend that Batman the Animated Series premiered on Fox Kids. Uh, right before it became a, a weekly show. So it was probably August. A piece came in the local newspaper, The Morning Call, uh, announcing the upcoming death of Superman. And as cliched as it may sound, this was before the internet. So I didn't have a clue that this was coming. I mean, if the death of Superman were to happen today, Newsarama and other sites like Comic Book Resources and The Pulse would be covering it from the first announcement until the first hardcover was released. Sure, you had Wizard and other comic zines being published at the time, but there wasn't the immediacy that there is today. Information was slow, or at least it was for me, who relied on the next issue box to give me some inkling as to what was going to happen next month. Sure, sometimes they would let something slip in the letters page, like they did with the announcement of the fourth Superman title, Superman the Man of Steel, the year, be the year before, but other than that, I mean, I was in a vacuum. So, from that point, it was a waiting game. There was a strange sense of anticipation. It was like a countdown had started. Sadly, right before the story was published, Joe Schuster died, which added a surreal twist to the whole thing. Here, Superman was dying in the comics, and one of his co-creators dies in real life. I remember reading that Schuster had died and felt a profound sense of sadness. Despite never having met the man, I was such a fan of his creation that I was almost obligated to mourn him, even just a little bit. Then came 18 November, 1992. It was a Friday. Comics actually used to come out on Fridays here in the States. Actually, there was a time where DC books would come out on one day and Marvel books would come out on another, but that's really beside the point. Anyways, it was a Friday, and since, as Mark Wade put it in the Amazing Story of Superman documentary from last year, since nothing else happened in the world, the story of Superman dying really broke. At Beachhead Comics in Allentown, near where I lived, there was a line waiting to get into the store the day the book came out, and this scene was repeated all over the country. The Morning Call... Uh, the Allentown's biggest paper, covered it with a pretty big article uh, the day after the issue hit. People wanted this book, especially comic fans. I didn't get it that Friday, or that Saturday. The weekend of the 18th, I was busy performing in what was misleadingly called the senior class play at Emmaus High School. I say misleading because sophomores and juniors, which I was at the time a junior, could be in the play as well. It was the Pink Panther Strikes Again, and a fun time was had by all. The final curtain fell on Saturday night, and the cast met up at my friend Ben's house for the cast party later that evening. We were all watching Saturday Night Live where the, when the Superman's funeral skit came on, complete with Sinbad as Black Lightning. And suddenly, my fan world and my high school world collided in ways they didn't normally. I mean, I knew some comic fans, but most of the people that were on the play with me didn't really give a crap about comic books. It was a funny skit, though. 
It's still a funny skit. I mean, you really can't do much better than Sinbad as Black Lightning. I did have one dork moment, though. When Black Lightning called out to Batman, and Batman seemed to not know him, I said aloud, well, well, that doesn't make any sense. They were in the Outsiders together. Utter silence. All eyes were on me. All I could really say was, what? Before they finally turned their attention back to the television, barely containing, no doubt, the disgust that they felt for me. The next day was Sunday, and I still didn't get the book. I was thinking about it, but I got nailed with a really nasty cold. Then, as now, I don't get sick often, but when I do, it usually takes me out for a little while. I slept all day. All day Sunday, and not just because I was up all night the previous night, but because I felt like complete and utter crap. So much so that I didn't go to school that Monday, which I caught endless hell for the following day from some of my friends who thought I was faking it. I wasn't. I was really sick. By the middle of Monday, though, I was feeling a little better and really started thinking about Superman number 75. I was a bit worried that I wouldn't be able to get a copy, but then it hit me. I got a hold box. For about a year by that time, I had kept a hold box at the comic vault. The Superman books were on that hold list. I hurriedly got the phone book out, called, asked if the books were in my box, told that yes, the books were there, and somehow convinced my mother to give me my allowance early so I could buy the comics, and that night, she actually took me. It was right before closing time, but I walked into the comic vault, bought the entire saga, which was just sitting there waiting for me, minus the Justice League America issue, rode home, went up to my room, and read it. At this point, I could turn this into a truly Wonder Years type story with Daniel Stern taking over the narration and describing what a life-changing event the death of Superman was. Well, it wasn't. Oh, it was big, and it was one of those touchstone moments of my teenage years, and something I will probably always remember. But life-changing? Not entirely. It was a neat package, though black bag with a bleeding S on the front, inside the comic, complete with tombstone cover. There was a black armband with an S on it, a poster, a newspaper clipping, I think some stickers, and a trading card promoting the upcoming Death of Superman trading card set. This package was comic books in the 90s at its best, really. The trading card set, by the way, was, was really interesting. The back end of the set was a series of covers from the Funeral for a Friend art that followed uh, the death storyline. And on the back of those, they placed in trading card puzzle form, because uh, at that time, one of the big things to do with uh, trading cards was to have different images on the front, but when you turned them over in and supposedly put them into the little sleeves that would hold about nine trading cards, it would form one image. And this particular image was the poster that came in Superman number 75 that had all of the DC heroes mourning the character as several of them were serving as pallbearers. Here's the problem. Skybox, which had the rights to most of the DC characters at the time, did not have the rights to Batman and Robin, who appeared prominently on the poster as pallbearers. 
The reason for this is that I believe Topps owned the rights to Superman and most of his characters at the time since they had put out several trading cards from the first two Batman films. So someone, I really don't know who, redrew the characters, replacing Batman with Captain Marvel and Robin with Changeling. The problem was that Captain Marvel was already on the poster, so they replaced him with Peter Cannon Thunderbolt. They also replaced Batman with Captain Marvel in the cover of Superman number 76 for the set. It looked awkward, but there it was. Mysteriously, Skybox could use Nightwing, since I guess he was a Titans character at the time, not a Batman character. Probably going to get away with that today. I have the Death of Superman set, by the way, along with the Return of Superman card set, all in the official binder for the two things that Skybox put out. And, and this thing is kind of cool. It has a flip a action to it. On one side, you have the Doomsday, the Death of Superman cover on it, and you flip that thing over and you are presented with the Return of Superman side, complete super with Superman in his long-haired hippie freak look. Now, if my Death of Superman story ended there, it would be satisfying. But two things happened the next day that I will never forget. One, I was a dork and I wore the armband to school, and did so until second period, which was my Spanish class. The jocks and jock wannabes and other jackasses of my high school were doing a fairly good job of making fun of me and finally broke down my resistance uh, and I took it off. Uh, it, it was a unflattering picture of me drawn on one of the desks with the armband on which was the straw that broke the camel's back. <sighs> jackasses. Uh, two, all of the other comic fans I knew were frantically trying to find a copy of Superman number 75, but it was pretty well sold out, so if they didn't get to the store that weekend, they were pretty much screwed for a little while. A few of them asked me if I had found a copy, and the shocked expressions on their faces when I told them that, why, why yes, I, I did have a copy, uh, gave me this really odd sense of satisfaction. They just stared. They couldn't wrap their heads around it. How could I find a copy? I mean, it was a Superman fan, but, but how did he do it? What was his inside track? And I told them I had a hold box, and the Superman books were just waiting for me. Again, they just stared, probably because most of them didn't know what a hold box was. I was one of the few that were able to find it opening weekend. There's a saying that in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Well, in the land of the floundering comic book fans, the dude with the Superman in his hold box is Emperor, or Czar, something. You know, for good or ill, Superman number 75 still is one of those important moments from my collecting life. In a lot of ways, it, it was almost like a reward for sticking with the books for five years. You've been here for 60 months. Here's an epic story that will change the books forever. Congratulations. And it really validated the five years of collecting that I went through and the crap I took. For a time, it was okay to collect Superman. Not that it really mattered to me. I mean, I was going to read the book no matter what. But there wasn't such a stigma attached to it for a few years. 
then Electro Superman happened, and Superman Red, and Superman Blue, and the Millennium Giants, and a lot of goodwill that you know Superman had built up over the past few years was blown straight to hell. But for a time, it was all that and a bag of chips. <sighs> Fifteen years. Well, it it really doesn't seem like that much time has passed. So much has happened, and it still seems like yesterday when I walked into the comic vault and picked those books up. It's weird. you know. As much as the death of Superman heralded a great time for the Man of Steel's books, it was also the last gasp before the boom period of comics in the late 80s and early 90s went bust. It's like, we killed Superman, not much else we can do to top that. I realize that's oversimplifying it a bit, because a few other things happened to kind of cause the market to implode. But nothing touched the event that was Superman number 75. It says something about a comic that 15 years, we are not only still talking about it, but we're, they're even releasing an animated movie based on it in addition to an omnibus and action figures and all of that. You know, there are times when it is really neat to be a Superman fan. And as I picked up my Superman Doomsday DVD today, and as I look at my Superman Omnibus, I realize, you know what? This is one of them. And I think that's about it for this week's episode. I will be back next week on the 26th with a new episode uh, finally with my friend Shag. Uh, we got together and managed to get something recorded and I managed to actually record it, so that's pretty cool. In the meantime, you can always check out the official blog for the show at viewsfromthelongbox.blogspot.com There you can find back issues of views along with a link to the weekly column version of views over at comicstream.com which goes up every Friday. You can also check out a link to the Unique Geek, where, where am I part of that group's bi-weekly podcast. There's even a link to the wonderful site that hosts me, MediaGauntlet.com. In addition to all of that, you'll find the RSS feed, you can subscribe to the show through iTunes, where you can also write a review for the show like the wonderful Lady Spirit did, and there may be some original material there if the mood strikes me. If you have some extra time after that, head on over to Podcast Alley and vote for the show so I can have some bragging rights or something like that. If you have anything you want to say to me directly, the email address for the show is viewsfromthelongbox at gmail.com. Views from the Long Box is presented by Oh My God, I'm Heartily Sorry for I Have Offended Thee Productions in association with MediaGauntlet.com. Thanks a lot, everybody. I'll see you next week. country is safe again, Superman, thanks to you. No, sir. Don't thank me, Warden. We're all part of the same team. Night. Night.